0: Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt.
1: Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So it's time for our monthly book club discussion of the book. And this month's book was The Thousand Deaths of Ardor Ben by Tyler Whitesides. I picked this book because it looked like the kind of book that Matt usually likes to read. And I thought I would give him something that he would enjoy reading.
0: And from a from a feature list yeah. of the book, it really does seem like something I'd be interested in reading. On
1: paper, this looked really good. Matt's favorite character type is the underdog man character who... Not uh, necessarily man. Okay. The underdog character who everybody thinks is not going to amount to anything, and they end up being the hero of the story through both wit, uh, usually wit, doesn't matter about power level, they just have to outsmart everyone and uh, save the day. And that's what this looks like on paper. On paper, And the fact that it's described as like a high fantasy Ocean's Eleven. I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is worth a shot. Yeah,
0: we get an underdog heist fantasy novel.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't think that's how that played out. <laughs> I don't think that's how that played out at all.
0: Okay, so spoiler-free review mm. to begin with. Yeah. It seems like... This is a, an entertaining book.
2: Mm. It would seem like Not it. Not
0: necessarily rereadable, but it's long. Um,
1: As I, the only one who actually finished the book, I would say a good spoiler-free free review would be An Interesting Exploration of a Materials-Based Magic System in a interesting blend of high fantasy and sort of steampunk world because the magic system requires um, a lot of ingenuity and engineering. And not just... Nobody has innate magic. Um, Everybody uses this magic that you can purchase. And it makes it an interesting world. I'd like to see someone... Edit this book down to half its length, and I think you've got a really good, interesting book that would be enjoyable and fast-paced and heist-like.
0: Right. So I, I scanned through some other reviews. Yeah. And a lot of people seem to have similar opinions. Mm-hmm. A few people said that they liked how long it was and how how much everything was explained play-by-play.
1: I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to note that Tyler Whiteside's other books are all elementary fiction. This is his first foray into adult fiction. And so in elementary fiction, the way that he...
0: Uh, Children's series. Elementary fiction. Yeah.
1: Children's series. The way that he... Not the one below young adult. Not young adult, but younger. Younger. Okay. Um, And so the way that he explains everything very explicitly and the simple clarity of his prose I'm sure works extremely well in that venue and if you are someone who reads books solely for the content what's happening in the book this book is fine if you're like me and I really want I want prose I want like I want phrases that make me stop and go, oh, shit, that sounded amazing. I I love the way those words were put together. Let me roll back and read that again. Right.
0: And with. This isn't that book. And with some things left open. Yeah. So your imagination can fill in the gaps.
1: Yeah, there's. this would be a good place to insert a discussion about tone and pacing. And how we expect certain tone and certain pacing for certain types of book. So there is a way of creating a large fantasy world where you drop things in and do not explain them if they are not required to be explained for the book. And that creates this huge world. This can get overdone. Kate and I read a book called City of Nightmares where she tries to do that. And what she ultimately does is explain nothing. And so you have no clue what the world is like. Um, You have to have you have to walk this line of explaining enough that I feel like I have a good grasp on how the world works, but not explaining so much that I feel like I'm in a class learning about how this world works. Right. You can do that really easy visually with movies. You know where you throw in technology that you don't explain, or you throw in elements that you don't explain, um, and in books, you have to do something similar, but it's far more challenging. And of course, that's the mark of a good writer. If you can make me feel like this world is huge without feeling like I read a treatise on the world, then good on you! Like, that's that's a good fantasy novel. He is explains everything like you would in an elementary story, because when you're writing for children, everything has to be explained and everything has to be repeated. And so we repeat the way that the magic system works every time we use the magic system. And that's not for us. That's not a personal preference for you and I, you and I enjoy a book that is like, got it. Good. Let's fucking go. And this was not a fucking go book. This was a, okay, did you get it last time? Don't worry. I'm going I'm to explain it again. Don't worry about it. I got you. And there's actually very few characters, which is fine. I don't need us to juggle about There's really only one point of view character until very close to the end um, when we get Cora Kai as our point of view character.
0: We get Cora as a point of view character when she's first introduced.
1: Yeah. And it's all third person limited. Um... So we actually head-hop a little. We do head-hop between Ardor and Quora. Yeah. Some. And we get a couple other people that we head-hop to. We do head-hop to Isle Haviland, Haviland um, who is our main character. He's the hiring agent. He's, he's the he's, he's the, the one hook. we're doing the heist for. He's the plot hook. Yeah. Okay. So moving past the spoiler-free section of this.
0: I, I was thinking... One thing we could do in the spoiler-free review is to go over, because we want to talk about tone and whatever, Yeah, um, we could talk about the story graph, like, overall review.
1: Yeah, go ahead and- uh, Like, what are the tags?
0: What are the highlights there?
1: So one of the reasons we like story graph before we get started, um, one good reads is Amazon. And um, we don't need to give Amazon any more power than it already has. Because you know uh Wally where they made the joke about by and large.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. that's how Amazon That's Amazon. Goes.
1: Okay, so we can anytime we can divert a little bit of that from Amazon the better plus, StoryGraph is woman owned and minority owned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you get the double punch of it's a fabulous new platform that does way more than good reads. And it's an excellent thing to support. So,
0: right. So, the take when you do Matthew. a review on Goodreads, it's just star and text box. Yeah. On Storygraph, you get, I don't know if there's even a star uh, rating. Hopefully not. Uh, no, there is. Okay. There is a star rating, but it's at the end. Mm. You get a survey with check boxes and drop down boxes for. What is the mood? In this case, 100% adventurous. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. The, I guess, the, the top moods are adventurous, funny, tense, lighthearted, mysterious, emotional. And half of the people say it's fast-paced, a little bit less than half say medium, and about 11% say it's slow-paced.
2: Hmm.
1: That's odd.
0: Right? Uh, because we both felt this is so slow. slow. Yeah. Which just goes to show you that different people uh, uh, it, art feel differently about it.
2: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh.
0: Uh, and then you go through plot or character driven. It's fairly even split. Uh, strong character development, lovable characters, diverse cast of characters. Uh, let's see. Lovable characters, yes, 72%. Mm-hmm. Uh, flaws of characters as a main focus, yes, 60%. Hmm. I don't know that we actually explore Arter's flaws. Does Arter
1: have flaws? Arter's flaws are the...
0: Do his flaws have consequences for him they're that like, he has to overcome?
1: They're like the flaws you talk about in an interview. I'm too focused on my achieving my goals. Um, I'm too focused on being perfect, and sometimes it gets in the way of completing my task. It's the, like, yeah, I'm flawed. You can tell I'm flawed because I try so hard to be the best, and I am the best, but I also try really hard at it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that was probably one of my main problems with the novel, in fact, is that Tyler Whitesides is desperately, passionately, in love with Ben. Every author's first and favorite character is who they wish they could be. And Tyler Whiteside's wishes... Well, rule of thumb. Rule of thumb. And it feels to me personally like Tyler Whiteside's wishes he could be Arter Ben. Arter Ben is handsome and smart and roguish. And God fucking damn it, if we don't repeat it anytime and somebody has to even describe him. And he's honorable. Me. And he's honor. Kate and I just we just went over this in our fee sheath and shatter uh, episode that we just did because we talked about legend born and bloodmarked which is another good place where we could talk about tone but we talked about the word noble and how okay. men pedestal some men pedestal the phrase noble and how really it's just being a good person and so why do we create this? pedestaled set of character traits which are like being kind to others being kind to women acting honorably acting with respect and deference to the people around us and like that's just being a good person that's not being right
0: why is that not the baseline why is that
1: not baseline and then we go up from there why is it like hey you're not out there taking advantage of the people around you so clearly you're noble and honorable and an outstanding man among your right, peers you're, you're an outlier <laughs> uh that's not the benchmark <laughs> i mean that should be like we start there that should be like yes. ground zero and then you can go down which is not great or you can go up from there um yeah so do take time to look at story graph if you're going to be doing book reviews at all Go and to Storygraph.
0: average rating uh four stars
1: i mean uh, yeah I can see that. It's not a bad book. It's not a bad book, but there's a tone that when you tell me this is a heist novel, there's a tone I'm looking for. And I didn't get that tone. I didn't get that pacing. I got an adventure novel. If you just told me this was an adventure novel, uh, okay, I guess. That's fine. It's okay. It's an okay adventure novel. It didn't really push the boat out. This is a traditionally published book. This is one of the first traditionally published books we've done. Actually, I think the last one that we did that was an indie novel was... um, Geometry for Ocelots.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then this one is a traditionally published book, which I thought would give us a chance to talk about traditional publishing. And, But first, let's talk about the tone conversation, which I wanted to have. Because okay. I talked about this with Kate and Hannah just a minute ago in the um, Legendborn Bloodmark episodes. Because they are YA. I did not realize they were YA. And so I was trying to explain... That there are situations in the book where because of her tone, it's confusing for me as a reader. Because on Feast, Sheath, and Shatter, we read a lot of uh, what they call spicy books now. Books where you have intimate situations between the main characters. Often more than two main characters. And there's a tone that I'm looking for in that book. And in YA, there's a tone that I'm looking for. Think Harry Potter. Think um twilight at no point in there are you feeling like the characters are rushing headlong towards intimate situations because the tone doesn't lend itself towards that right um but in bloodmarked and legendborn there were definitely periods where the tone felt extremely adult and so it felt mismatched to me that these characters are 16 but i'm getting the tone that i expect from an adult spicy novel or like a like a dark romance, almost, where I had a. It felt to me like these characters are rushing headlong to an intimate situation, but they're 16. Right. And then I'm reading this as a much older than 16 year old woman. Like, I'm deeply uncomfortable with how this is making me feel about these main characters right now. And I think that we had the same problem in this book where I feel like the tone is mismatched. I think it has a very elementary writing tone where the prose is clear and simple. Everything is explained in detail. The characters are all clearly written, but are not flawed in the way I want an adult character to be flawed. Right, Korakai feels like a child. I don't know how old Korakai is. At no point do I get a sense of how old Korakai is. Korra does not think about anything except Arter Ben. She doesn't.
0: Okay, before she meets Arter Ben, yeah, she is. She has some more nuance. She has some Somewhere. more depth.
1: We don't. We don't. She
0: has other yeah. other things she's focused on. Right. But then, as soon as they start working together,
2: yeah. Because Even
0: her her point of view, like stream of consciousness, is a lot of thinking about Arterben.
2: Right,
1: because when we first meet her, she's going to steal this painting, and she's thought all the way through it. Okay, this is the best time to steal this painting because this is an unexpected stop. They won't have had time to develop the proper... Security measures to be able to keep this painting safe. If I wait for another place, then they'll already have the security in place. This is my one shot to get it. She's thought all the way through it. She's cased the place. She's figured out an entrance. She knows her timeline. She's got all of her little, she's got her little tea bags She's got the guard drift.
0: rotations down.
1: She's got her little tea bags of drift, which we never mention again.
0: Except for one rake.
1: Rake doesn't use kind her of little tea bags. Scolds though.
0: her for how dangerous that is. I
1: mean, like one time, and she has her cool little gloves. Right. She's invented all of these little gadgets. She's got these cool little heist gadgets that she's made up for herself. And then she meets Rake and Ardor, and she plans nothing ever again until the very, 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 very end. And she has to be reminded that she was a person before she was martyr Ben's thief. And I don't think he does a good job setting up the chemistry because I don't think Quora is an interesting and independent enough character that I believe they'd be together. And it's like she can't see, but it never occurred to her that she might need glasses because they give her glasses and she's like, oh, I can see better now. Thank you.
0: Yeah, which those are things that
1: I would expect in an I'd be fine seeing that
0: yes yeah in a in a younger um, yeah a, a younger novel
1: I just read Wrinkle in Time which is considered an elementary fiction novel book and yeah that's exactly the tone that we get from that is these very clear uncomplicated characters and that's what you would. That's what I when I'm reading to my children. That's what I'm expecting. I don't right. want there, someone. There's who... room
0: for them to have some big revelation. Yeah, and for them to have never thought of this thing before. Right. Partly because it's interesting to the person reading it.
2: Right. Because but,
0: that's that's kind of where they are. Yeah. But in an adult novel,
2: yeah, I'm looking you for expect complexity. Your
0: characters to be a little more. Um, not necessarily intelligent, yeah, but uh, you know, street smart, like world wise. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, school of hard knocks. You want them to have gone through some shit. They need some trauma. They need some past. They need some. They need some life. They need some like, I'm. I don't know. I'm a far more complicated person now than I was when I was twenty. I just had this conversation with my niece. We haven't bought, brought my niece up in a while, so let's bring this up. And she was like, um, "I'm the least damaged out of all of you. Like, I have the least issues." And I'm like, "Yeah, because you're like 18. You haven't had time to. You haven't had time to cook yet, man. You haven't even been out. You've never. <laughs> nothing's been, happened, to nothing's you. happened to you. Nothing's happened to you. I need a. You know, if you're going to tell me that Ben is the ruse artist extraordinaire, to the point where everyone knows his name, which." <laughs> This is the same complaint I had with Throne of Glass. If you are a ruse artist, no one should know your name. It's like James Bond, right? Every time yes. you introduce yourself as a James Bond. that's a good point.
0: Bond, this is his James Bond yeah. personality.
1: Yeah. He should have. <laughs> uh, okay, and everybody knows he had Rake. Rake gets a, um, everybody knows him as the Short Fuse. Right. Nobody knows him as Rake. And then Korakai is just invisible, which is what you should be if right. you are a thief.
0: Quora is has the repu- the correct reputation yeah. in the public. Yeah. Whereas Arter Ben is like, he's on the most wanted list.
1: But he's supposed to be like that because that's right. the character type that he's going for, that I'm he's so, so confident and bold that I don't need to, I don't, but we don't back it up.
0: Right. Which it can be a fun character to read. Yeah. They're just all bluff, right? And they're just it's like Han Solo. Han Solo is famous (laughs) for being a smuggler, right? And then he always uses his name, right? Arter Ben always uses the name Arter, right? Even when he's
1: he just changes his last name, he only changes his last name so.
0: Uh, uh, unless he's, like, he has a different name for this disguise that they come up with in well, the Well,
1: no, he doesn't. He hires somebody to do that for well, him. Well, right,
0: right. But he uses a different name. Yeah. But when he makes his own characters that he's
1: playing... Yeah.
0: Yeah, he doesn't change his name.
1: Well, I mean, what we ultimately got was just flat characters. I think that's what we're getting at. Arterben needed to be, like, he needed to be all firework and flash. And he yeah. was not. He was just, like okay, Rake, what do we do next? Or he would, he had his, we started out so good because we had the chalkboard and he's like, oh, I just love this chalkboard. Like we got some really funny lines at the very beginning where he's like, I just think better when I write with chalk or whatever. But then everything got so explained to me. I was never surprised by anything that happened except that they kept getting, they kept getting ratted out. People, somebody kept telling on them so that their ruses kept getting guessed before they actually happened, and they were just like, "Huh, that's weird." And we just never, never dialed delved any deeper into it, because Cora even says she's like, "Isn't it weird that everybody keeps knowing what we're about to do?" And he's like, "Huh, that's weird." Their only concession is they start only telling Arthur, Rake, and Cora only know what's going on, and then they still keep getting betrayed. And Arter's like, well, it's not you, and it's not me, and it's not Rake. So, ah. Weird. Weird. It's really weird. And it's supposed to be a big reveal at the end, like, ooh, this is the person that's betraying them. And yet, by the time you get there, you're like, ugh, okay. Like, but what? then
0: it doesn't actually add anything to the plot. No. It was just, here's some conflict. And then when the conflict is resolved, it's, eh.
1: Yeah, it's to keep everything from feeling like Ocean's Eleven, where it's all win, right? Which you could have done that. It could have been all win, and then you have what you think you have a false defeat,
0: it, or when you actually get the thing, um, it yeah they they do the thing they were trying to do, but then they realize that's not actually the thing they needed to be doing,
1: right? Which is kind of happens, but by the time you get there, you're like, uh because we get all the way through, I mean, probably the moment where I checked out from this novel is Ardor gets hired by a isle. And so the this a is priest. An, a priest. This is an island nation, um, an island world. They live on islands and they do not know if there is any other land anywhere. Right. And the moon is actively trying to kill them at all times. Um, Everybody. Yeah, they have what's called the moon crossing where the full moon comes out and they light this torch, which they think protects them, but it turns out it's not the torch. Is Uh,
0: it just the full moon?
1: Just the full moon. And so the torch is not actually what's saving them, but that's part of the big reveal at the end, which again, by the time you get there, you're like, wow, I mean, okay. So... (laughs) What they have to do for Isle, because Isle is a priest of the wayfarers, because the wayfarers are the religious people. And then if you're not a wayfarer, you're settled.
0: Right. And part of the wayfarer religion is you're always seeking the homeland.
1: Seeking the home. Like we came here from somewhere and we need to get back to wherever we came from. And if you're settled, you're like, fuck it. We live here. I don't really need, I don't. Whatever. And so wayfarers are always trying to better each other and better the people around them. And it's a very, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting religion. But Isle Haviland is a a priest for this religion. And he has discovered some secret doctrine. which We could have just called it a secret. We didn't need to call this new doctrine.
0: Right. It, it, it'd be like the Dead Sea Scrolls.
1: Yeah. I'm like, okay. Because he's been talking to this other group called the Trothians who are like a separate species
0: of humans Of
1: hu- uh they're not really human
0: and they're humanoid they're
1: humanoid yeah they have blue skin they don't see they see energy infrared In- uh she calls it energy
0: well of course they do
1: yeah it's- infrared and then we have this oh my god it's like two. it's so long where we're talking about why she can't read lindell who's our isle haviland's friend And I know he's his friend. She is his friend because every time they show up together, Isle Haviland tells us about how Lindell is his friend and he trusts her and she pushes him. And isn't it so nice to have somebody who doesn't just believe you. They push you to ask more questions. And don't worry if you forgot all that, because the next time they get together, we're going to talk about it again. Um. I just wish he had gotten an editor who had been like, okay, we've already said this. So let's go ahead and let's nip this out of this section. Um, Because, again, they just ended up feeling elementary because they kept repeating themselves. They repeated themselves just indefinitely. Except Lindell. Lindell does not. So
0: Lindell and Haviland have been comparing
1: notes i know you're keeping me on track they've been because they have different religions so they've been talking about their different religions and they, they have realize different there's accounts of
0: their history yeah
1: and so where there's overlap they investigated and they found out this big deep dark secret that no one had ever found out before ever 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 except
0: and, for the people in charge
1: yeah well no the people in charge didn't know they don't know oh, the deep, about dark the secret. Yeah. Okay. So they tell Prime Isle, who's like the Pope. <laughs> they tell the Pope <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. and, and the Pope is like, "Nah, eh, heresy. I don't want to talk about it.
0: Stop investigating Stop that. Stop investigating
1: it. And yeah. so um, Isle Haviland does the only possible thing he can do, which is hire Ben to steal the royal regalia. Because at a certain point in history all the male dragons died. And so there's only female dragons left. And I have to question, I mean, I get where they were going because what we find out is that dragon shell can be used to make this grit. So the magic system's all based on grit, which is actually dragon shit. <laughs> you feed a dragon something that it can't digest. And then you collect its poop after it fired because it burns the poop to harden it.
0: And that makes the magic.
1: And that is the magic system. And on the outside of this turd, I guess I'll just pile (laughs) it. There's a shell. Slag. um, There's a, there's not a shell. There's like a coating.
0: I mean, like a hardened, like crusty shell from being fired. But
1: there's a coating on top of that called dross, which is highly flammable. And it's the way that the dragons would naturally dispose of it because anything... Any spark, any kind of ignition, and it will explode. And that way the whole island isn't covered in these hardened dragon um, shell. not dragon shit, I guess. <laughs> just trying to figure out a way to say this diplomatically. But what happens is the dragon fires it, they remove that coating, and then they collect the actual poo, which they call slagstone, because it's... Which
0: is flammable.
1: Flammable. And the contents that have passed the
0: indigestibles the, the
1: indigestibles and it's stuff like if it's a human skull you can make this thing called memory grit where it erases your memory of a certain once you're inside the bubble because every time grit Explodes. It makes a sphere unless it's in a contained space, and then it doesn't fully expand. Which I know because I got told that like eighteen times. And there's drift grit. There's all, all these different things you can feed a dragon. You so grind it up. And it's it does a powder. Shit.
0: It's a powder. You burn it from the. Shit. It makes a sphere based on how much you burn. Yeah. And it lasts for a certain amount of time. And there's some some fundamental law gets changed. Yeah. There's some effect. Uh, it emits light, it nullifies gravity, yeah. it erases your memory, whatever. Whatever. And then at the end, uh, it, eventually it wears out.
1: Right. And all of their technology and economy is based on dragon shit. And there's one island where the dragons all live. And it's the one island where you're not protected from the moon. So nobody can be on it during the moon passing.
0: You go crazy.
1: Or you go moon thick. Okay. All right. So- at a certain point in history, in recent history, 20 years ago, all the drag- male dragons just died of a plague. And now there is going to be no more fertilized dragon eggs. And dragons are not immortal, so dragons are dying out.
0: And fertilized dragon shell is important because it can be used to make visitant, visitant grit. grit. Yes, Which doesn't always work, but sometimes when you... Um, when you burn, visitant grit, a paladin shows up in fl- wreathed in flames. Yeah. and anyone who looks upon
1: or hears them
0: or hears them will die will die.
1: Yeah, or burst into flames or whatever. And that's usually done at these really pivotal moments in history, and they believe it's whether or not you are worthy of the paladin showing up. So only Wayfarer priests generally use it. And blah, 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 blah. That's the big reveal at the end of the book is what Visitant Grit is, why it sometimes fails, and why they need a dragon shell in the first place. Right. So, so
0: Haviland hires Arter Ben yeah. to steal the Royal Regalia yes. because it's made of, Argus it, some of it consists of fertilized dragon shell. Yeah. And, uh... Haviland wants to get some so that it can be processed into visitant grit because the isles, the priesthood, has no more visitant grit left.
1: It is the only fertilized dragon shell left. That's it. Right. There is no more anywhere. So it's the only place he can go to get fertilized dragon shell because –
0: And so their whole society is bereft of this tool that they've used in important moments. Where a fiery paladin would uh, affect the outcome.
1: Right. Yes. And
0: he wants to have that tool available.
1: They need it to fix whatever is happening. The new doctrine that we don't talk about until like 10 pages from the end of the book. And that's where the shenanigans start. And honestly, this book has so many. It's so... Linearly, com- it's not complicated in that a lot happens and it's kind of twisty turny. And there's like, ooh, it's just okay. Now on to the next step. Okay, now on to the next step because he hires Arderben. Well, then Ben needs to get into the castle, and so to get into the castle, he needs an alternate identity. And to get the alternate identity, he hires
0: Sinza and Elbrig.
1: Oh, there they are. We have a board. And I would just like everyone to know that Matt wrote the board, and so Arterben is a ruse art- artist, and Durrell is a tech artist, Korakai is a steel artist, Tana Lynn is an emotional trauma artist, Isle Haviland and Lindell are priest and priestess or heresy artists.
0: King Pethrodite and Prime Isle Chaucer are status quo artists.
1: Yep, yeah. and Senza and Elbrig are disguise artists. It's complicated. Yes. Because, honestly, they're my favorite characters in the book. They have no teeth and no hair, so that they can become anyone. And damned if he doesn't use that. Because they're like, oh, you're in a pinch? Surprise! One of them's actually Sinza, <laughs> one of them's actually Elbrick. <laughs> and they're always shocked because they're so good at it. And it is the best thought out section of the book. Because mm-hmm. Sinza and Elbrick give Quora and Ardor alternate identities... But they sell you an identity that they have been generating. So, They've been
0: developing for years. Yeah. So like with a paper trail and
1: everything. Yes. Like Dale, the character that Arter becomes, sold his pig farm to earn money to go to this whatever. And they're like, okay, so like, where was the pig farm? And he's like, oh, it was in this place. And like, what do we do if people check? And he's like, nothing, because there was a pig farm, and Dale sold it.
0: And Elbrigg has played Dale and interacted with people. Yeah. So that way, eventually Ardor meets somebody that has met Dale in the past. Yeah. And they have a conversation about what Dale did in that meeting, which nice.
1: Yeah. Nice. And we don't know what Sinza and Elberg's relationship is to each other. And that's complicated. It's complicated. And it's funny. It's They're the, they are on, they honestly do save the book. They're two of the best characters in the book because Korra's like, so who are they? And Arter's like, honestly, no fucking idea. I don't know. I don't know if that's even they, who they are. They actually are the are.
0: true heist characters. They
1: really are. Ardor's there and he you know what? Yeah. Yo. It reminds me a lot of certain dark things. Because the plot happens to Arter and Cora and Raken, but they don't always push the plot forward themselves.
0: Right. You could have other characters in there
1: yeah they hire other people to generate the plot for them like yeah cinza and Elbrig really shove them through the first part of the whole quote ruse and by the time they get to where they can go in the throne room and steal the regalia and they have to take over everything just goes to shit and they don't end up being able to control that section either yeah and there are parts where ardor takes over and becomes the like where man he's in calling charge, the shots. Where he's calling the shots, but they're few and far between. And the number of times that he gets called handsome. <laughs> I should have tapped a fucking tally. Because Cora is okay. We find that out a lot. Korra's fine. Korra's uh, okay. Ardor says she's pretty. She looks pretty as uh, Azania, her alter ego. And he doesn't realize how pretty she is until she becomes a Zagna. And you're like, oh, okay. And Sinza and Elbrick don't like Korra. They think she's bland and boring and has no skills. And Korra repeats ad nauseum that she's bland and boring and has no skills. And then Ardor is the best, the most handsome, the the most awesome. The uh... I think probably just the characters were what got to me in this. And I think it's because... We love a good character-driven story. But you could honestly pluck these characters out, put them in a room together, and I don't think you could have... I don't think they could have a three-dimensional conversation. I think they only fit in their roles. Ben only does the, like, planning. And he's supposed to be clever, and he comes up with these really clever and elaborate solutions. And I deviated from where I checked out of this book because I had to bring all this in before I could talk about it but he becomes this character named Dale and he's trying to earn the trust of the king and right in that moment when he's supposed to be earning the trust of the king he drops the bomb on the king that he knows that the king killed the male dragons he's like oh it's okay I know you did that but you did it for us so it's okay no one is supposed to know that and yet, he drops that on him, and we immediately lose the trust of the king, and then they're on their hind feet for the whole rest of it.
0: Right. Up until this point, Ardor is expertly navigating all of these conversations with all the pivotal people in the court that he needs to like impress and whatever, and, and Cora remarks on it.
1: Yeah, on how great uh, he verbosely. is. Verbosely. <laughs> yes. Um
0: and and so he's keeping track he's interacting with all these people keeping track of what he needs to bring up smoothly in the conversation and what he needs to not talk about and what his tone needs to be and yeah. what he may needs to make the other person feel about him but then he gets to the king and he he fumbles it
1: yeah But like kind of
0: it's not an accident.
1: No, he does it on purpose. He does it on purpose. It's because his flaw is he's so passionate and impulsive because he's filled with ardor. And ultimately, it ends up being what steers the plot each and every time because that happens. They go to get the shell. It doesn't quite work. Cora almost gets caught. He detonates this memory grit. And then when they come back, Cora is in a like regimental outfit, so she can escape. But he gets captured. And then he has to break out of prison, which is okay. It's probably one of the more interesting sections. And then after he gets out of prison, um, they have to go back because they hid the regalia, and they got to figure out where they hid the regalia, and they get the regalia, and they get out with the regalia, and then they have to get in the ship, and they have to go to Picall, because Picall is where the dragons are, and they have to get a dragon to eat it, and then they get it to Picall, but when they get to Picall, they can't land the boat, so he shoots a hole in the balloon, and they have to land the balloon by crashing it on the island, and then we have to spend a week taking the dragon, and then <laughs> I was just like, I gotta, I can't fucking do that and then after we do all of that we get the dragon shell back everybody fucking dies they get off the island they they manufacture the grit and I, I could probably tell you exactly how to build the ma- the machine that they use to manufacture the grit because goddamn, if we don't break that down piece by piece and then ardor gets severely wounded Quora has to be the one to go and get A unfertilized male dragon egg. Because after they get back, they finally make the visitant grit. We get the great betrayal. And we find out that, oh, wouldn't you know it, the lady who owns the building where they have their secret headquarters that they in no way vetted, he was just like, well, she doesn't speak English that great. This is probably going to be fine. And
0: she can't see that well. Right, because she's the she trothian.
1: can't read and she doesn't speak English very well, so he kind of figured it was going to be okay, and she was definitely not the one who was betraying them this entire time. So she's the one who's betraying them this entire time, which is a running joke that he eats a lot of pastries. Ha 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 ha, 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 ha. So she gets killed, um, but not before she gives away that King Haviland and a Trothian priestess have been communing and. Haviland gets killed, and we find out that there is a secret about Visitant Grit that the leader, the Prime Isle, knows.
0: The Prime Isle and the king.
1: Okay, so right. then we need to get the king to tell us what the thing is, because the Prime Isle gets killed. So we need to, we need to get to the king again so that he can explain how Visitant Grit works. So they come up with this, honestly— like the worst ruse in the book.
0: <laughs> they, they need the king to villain monologue.
1: And we have finally started montaging the planning. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm sorry. We don't montage the planning. We montage the action. So we get all of them sitting in the room talking through how to do it. And then they were like, okay, we did it. On to the next part. So we finally montage something. But it's not the thing that I want montaged. I want to see the... This is an adventure novel. I want to see the action, and I don't want to see the planning. I want to see Arterban walking up to the chalkboard and going, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then we cut to everybody doing their stuff.
0: Right, with occasional flashbacks back to the planning.
1: If you're going to call it Ocean's Eleven, structure it like Ocean's Eleven. Okay? And so then... They get the king through a series of really contrived situations. And the king is like, okay, let me go ahead and tell you absolutely everything you need to know for the end of this book. And it turns out Visiting Grit doesn't ever actually fail. What it does is create these waypoints in time where people can go back and change the future. Because the homeland isn't a place. It's an ideal future that we're all striving for. And so anytime that the timeline deviates too far from what the ideal future should be someone can go back and change the timeline and start again it's very multiverse yes so that's what they do they figure out a time to go back but Arter does not want to just go back and change the timeline right because, because
0: it's one way
1: it's one way trip because there's no home to go back to when you're done so he has to figure out how to do it so that nothing will change and what he needs to do is bring back the dragons because the dragons are what protect the entire world from moonsickness.
0: Right. So the moonsickness puts out some energy. Bad juju. Yeah. The dragons, mm, it's tasty. <laughs> yeah. They absorb the energy yeah. and I guess maybe that generates the magic. Anyway, uh, but when they absorb the energy, there's none left to go to the humans. Right. So the dragons are acting as this safety valve on whatever bad juju the moon is putting Radiation out.
1: Radiation sink. Yeah.
0: And, and the, nobody else has to deal with the and bad juju. And they're
2: dying out.
0: So the, the king has had all the dragons killed.
1: The male dragons. The male dragons yeah. killed.
0: So that there would not be any more fertilized eggs. So there'd be so the, no more visitant grit. So then because because we're already in the ideal timeline. Yeah,
1: obviously his timeline is the best timeline.
0: Yes, the timeline where he became king and rules. And for, he doesn't
1: want anybody else committing temporal whatever. genocide. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> uh so the king has killed all the male dragons. Yeah. So there will be no more visitant grit because there will be no one to fertilize the dragon eggs. Uh, so that no one can, I don't know, usurp him, whatever. Yeah. And in doing so has doomed the dragons to extinction. Yep. Which means the bad juju ain't going to stay on the dragons anymore. Yep. And The bad
1: juju ain't going to be in there. Do-do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so- Gotcha. <laughs> so the, the real resolution- is not to have the... Well, I guess the real resolution the whole time yep. was Isle Haviland was trying to find a way to bring back the male dragons. Yep. So they get the Visitant Grit, which at the time, Isle Haviland knew he needed to get... His he mission was to get Visitant plan. Grit... He knew that somehow Visitant Grit would be crucial to the success of bringing back the dragons, but he didn't know how he was going to do that because he didn't know Visitant yeah. Grit was time travel. So Arder's goal is to bring back the male dragons. Yes. So his And we also learn that dragon eggs are fertilized by
1: male dragon uh, fire.
0: So, dragons Fert- breathe out fire. Fertilizing fire. When the male dragon breathes out fire, breathe
1: there's on me stuff with your in fertilizing it. Fertilizing fire.
0: <laughs> there's stuff in it that <laughs> fertilizes the egg.
1: Yeah. Sorry, you just got killed by an ejaculation. <laughs> so,
0: so if okay, uh, dragons are reptilian. Mm-hmm. Reptiles have a cloaca, which means they poop and lay eggs out of the same hole. Correct. I wonder. If male dragons would ever, <laughs> would you ever end up with a dragon egg in the poop? No. And would the male dragon have to, like, breathe fire on a female dragon's poop egg pile? <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, it's like chickens. Just... Chickens don't poop and lay eggs at that's, the same time. That's true. That's two that's separate very good processes. Point. Yeah.
0: Yes, I, we know chickens. Just
1: like you can't ejaculate and pee at the same time.
0: Yeah. Okay, so Arter decides, okay, we're going once they know it's time travel, he has to think, how can I use time travel to get a an unfertilized dragon egg exposed to fire from a male dragon? Yeah. Okay, let's scour the histories. Oh. We've only mentioned one, like, historical-
1: <laughs> Ad nauseum! One yes.
0: historical event yeah. where there was male dragon fire, like, a lot, a lot- Right here. Of male dragon fire. And
1: somebody- Right
0: here. Somebody-
1: Detonated de- visitant Grit.
0: And documented exactly where they- Yeah. Detonated it. So, uh, hey! Yeah, it's- We've resolved, we, we've uh, connected that plot line. It's
1: just by the time we get there and he does all that, it just feels it doesn't feel like a climax. It feels like this, the next step.
0: This seems like the kind of thing that you would not you would not explicitly explain to the reader that visitant grit is time travel. Yeah. Until
1: that's the big... Yeah, until you do it.
0: Until Ardor's like, okay, now I have to go do my part of the plan. And everybody watches Arter just run to the middle of this courtyard. Yeah. And get ready to detonate some grit holding the unfertilized dragon egg. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck is he doing? Right. Right? This would be the super secret part of the plan. Right. And then... I don't
1: want to know until I get here. I want to think he's going to fail. I want to yeah. be on the edge of my seat is he going to fail? Is it going to work? Are we going to be able to save everybody?
0: Right, and you think he's just gone crazy, right? Maybe, maybe have it like on the night of the moon, the full moon, yeah. And you think, oh shit! I kind of did. Want he this go moon
1: sick. All hope is lost yes. right now because and then Rake you switch to. Rake has died. Quora yeah. is left because Quora yeah. was like fucking Arter. I can't stand you anymore. I- I've become not a person, <laughs> so I'm leaving. And yet this is a perfect moment for all hope is lost. And then you give me, is it going to work? Is it not going to work?
0: Right. And then you switch to Arter's POV. Yeah. And and then he's explaining, like, as he's detonating the grit, then he explains it just in his own head. Right. He's like, okay, I detonated this grit. Now I can go back to when Grotonisk the yeah, male dragon. Well, you just have him detonate the, the grid, city. and then
1: he looks over, and all the people are gone, and who is there instead is Grotnisk the dragon. Yes, and you're like, oh shit, he traveled back in time, right? And then we get the like, it worked exactly the way that they said it would. I traveled back to this moment. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, cool, nice. But instead, it ends up feeling like a list, right? That, okay, that's we the, talk to the king. that's the
0: heist trope. Yeah, there is. At the end, somebody's doing something and the viewer reader yeah is thinking what's going on it's
1: when danny ocean gets captured and you think it's because he made a mistake right. and it's all part of the plan of getting away right that's what you need at the end is the switch the you need a switch bait and switch the reader and bait and switch the characters like yeah you need, that's what I'm looking for in a heist. And I didn't feel like I got that. I felt like I got a list. Okay, and then after he does all that, Grotnisk fertilizes the egg with his fire ejaculation. And then um, Elberg shows up, because <laughs> Elberg is the plot device that drives everything forward in this entire novel. And he knocks on the dome, because he's in a barrier dome. And he's like, "Arter Rake isn't dead. He's in the castle. And Rake's like, cool. And then we go rescue Rake, and honestly, we got to the end and I don't quite remember how it ended, even though I just read it. And I don't know that I'm intrigued enough to go on and read the last two. I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't care if he and Cora get back together. I kind of hope Cora just stays on the run because she gave everything up for this man. And he gave nothing up for her. And I think he was trying to avoid the um, manic pixie dream girl. But also, yeah. she was supposed to be kind of a manic pixie dream girl, because she's kind of autistic, where she's supposed May, to be. Maybe
0: Ardor was supposed to be the manic pixie dream boy. No. And get her to fall in love
1: No, well, him. he she is in love with him somehow. It just feels like Stockholm Syndrome, because they've been together too long. <laughs> and she keeps getting down on herself, and Ardor compliments her, and he's like, I'm doing such a good job complimenting her. I'm doing that on purpose because it makes her feel more it makes her feel better about herself. I'm so good at that. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. So ultimately I think our conclusion on this one is it was not our favorite. And
0: It, it was some people's favorite. It was
1: some people's favorite. It was not what we look for in a book. It did not the tone was not what I was looking for when I was told it was a heist novel. And honestly, even if you told me this was an adventure novel, I would have found it boring because I want to be treated like a smart reader. And I don't think he didn't treat me like a smart reader, but I definitely feel like his strength probably lies more in elementary fiction. And I'd like to read some of his elementary fiction to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure if you read it, it's probably good and plucky and interesting and fun and the kind of stuff I would like to read to my kids. But this just didn't feel like the kind of book that I personally would read again or that I would go on to read the sequels of. And I think it's interesting because this book is traditionally published and it's traditionally published by like an actual like a not uh, whoever published Iron Flame. I forget what I don't have the book right down here, but there's a publishing house that publishes some of these. um, Oh, I heard. Um, book talk like Iron Flame and Fourth Wing, and some of the more like Orbit mm-hmm. books. It was published by Orbit,
0: which is part of the Tor Publishing Group. Right? I think so. Hachette Book Group. Anyway, big...
1: yeah, big, 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 big publisher. Yeah, and I heard uh, to continue what I was just about to say, I've heard some of the more popular current fiction compared to fast fashion. Yes. Like, Fourth Wing came out, and then less than I a think year I, later- I sent
0: you a reel about-
1: The giant, sec- the giant sequel comes out. And uh, it's because we're drawing a lot of people into reading who are not norm. I don't want to Historically? Be like, they're not readers, like we're readers. <laughs> 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 I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, like, if you're a Patrick Rothfuss fan, and you've been waiting 10 years, you're still waiting, and you're going to read it when it comes out. You're tired of waiting, but you knew going into it there might be a wait. Yes. And that you might not finish it. And when you have books like we read the um Serpent and the Wings of Night, and it was really good, and then she was probably pressured heavily to put the sequel out ASAP to capitalize on the momentum the of her first book. Yeah. And the second book is not great. It's okay. it's okay. It's fine. But it I definitely would rather have let her let it cook. Take the time to write me a good book and I'll read it. Uh, But back to what we were talking about with this book, this book is traditionally published possibly because he already had a contract with his other books, but I have definitely read some indie books that I thought were phenomenal. um, Case in point, geometry for ocelots. And then I have read some traditionally published books that I'm like, what on earth? (laughs) Who read this and was like out of the slush pile with you you're going straight to the publishers and i wonder if it's a i just feel like he could have used a good editor if you put a good editor on this he probably could have turned this into a good book oh yeah just an editor who can push him maybe nobody felt i don't know i don't know it's weird i used to be in this writer's group and there was a fellow in there who was a he was a publisher the kind of guy that would read books and decide whether they got published or not. And he was the biggest dick. <laughs> the entire place. But every time I would bring something in, he'd be like, well, it's vampires. So I would just reject it without even reading it. And I'm like, oh, okay.
0: As he, as if he is the entirety of yeah. the publishing uh, industry and taste.
1: Correct. And I just think, I don't know, I'm not on threads, but I see the little like snippets from threads when I'm sometimes looking through um, Instagram to interact with people. And I have seen a lot of um, really heavy debate about the difference between the which is better, independent publishing or traditional publishing. And again, this is a false binary. This is what is referred to in logical arguments as a false binary, which means there is not either or. We don't have to choose. It is not a winning and losing battle with two sides. There is one side and there's the other side. And for some people, one side works really well. And for some people, it didn't. And for other people, the other side works really well. And you just have to ask yourself, who's benefiting from this discussion? Who is the primary person benefiting from independent publishing right now? The largest distributor of independently published books.
0: Oh, Amazon.
1: Can you guess? Amazon, who's making a lot of money from getting authors to advertise their books through their platform? Right,
0: from selling...
1: Ads to Amazon
0: Kindle to authors and saying, you don't need to go through a traditional publisher. You can publish your book here and then pay us to distribute ads for your books. Yeah. And then when people read your books... You get paid.
2: Right.
1: Anytime rats are scrabbling over crumbs, you have to ask who's holding the bread.
0: Yeah. I like that. That's a good one.
1: So just something to think about. Um, Not every traditionally published book is a slam dunk. Not every indie published book is a dud. There's definitely winners on both sides. I think that we should... I definitely think there is space for overhauling the way that traditionally published books are um, optioned from the author and marketed. I think we're at a place where um, we're going to have to pivot because we're getting these like fast fashion books. And this is an unsustainable business model where these uh, these these, um, publishers are making a lot of money from the book talk and bookstagram influencers who are pushing these mega properties like iron flame and fourth wing is a classic example right now without the book talk hype do i think she would have reached the levels of popularity that she currently has Mm. not really they're okay they're fine they're they're okay books Do I think they're better than other books I've read? Uh, uh, No, not really. And like, I think it's the newest Sarah J. Mass book when it comes out. Each person, each place that releases it—Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, um, and Amazon—will all have chapters that the others don't have.
0: Which is uh, the uh, actual
1: fuck, right. right? That feels like a betrayal to me. Yeah, it's like if you put a movie out. And on every streaming service, it had a different ending. And so in order to watch all the endings, you had to subscribe to all the streaming services. It's just a way of getting your money. Right. And it feels disingenuous. It's like, I'm not creating this art just to create it because I have a story that I want to tell. It's how much money can we milk from the simps? (laughs) That's what it feels like. And I personally... We just had this discussion of Feast Sheath and Shatter, actually. Um, I don't do well when I feel like I'm being told what to do or how to feel, which is probably why I didn't like this book, because I got told a lot how I was supposed to feel about the characters. This is Arter Ben. We like him. Rather than being
0: inspired to feel a certain way. Yeah,
1: no, just give me the character and leave it up to me how I feel about this character. Right. Um, So as soon as you told me he was handsome and everybody loved him, I was like, fuck you, no, he isn't. Because I have a problem. Um, so when we have these like publishing houses that are putting out these massive properties and they are clearly milking the milking the, the profit for all all you can, I, I hate like I hate it a little bit. It just kills me.
0: Right. I think this is part of just a larger trend of some company, some entity organization, Profiting from distributing content that other people are creating, yeah, and the the content creators get paid just a tiny piece, yeah. of the pie. And this organization says, "Oh, well, it's so expensive to distribute your content, yeah. Uh, you know, we have to take that money so that we can." we can have lives and have salaries and whatever yeah uh, and you get a you get a little piece of that and recently we've had a growth of platforms for funding content creators a little more directly yeah but like patreon does something like 70/30 or 60/40 split Of of the money that you pay to Patreon, yeah, the content creator that you are subscribed to. Patronizing. (laughs) Yes. Is only getting 30 to 40% of that. Yeah. There's another new one called Glimpse, and they do a 50-50 split. But even then, like most of this is digital content. Yeah. Why?
1: Why are you getting so much? Digital
0: co- Digital content has a an a neg- almost negligible cost of duplication. Yeah. So even 50-50 split, why is it that much? Right. So I think overall we're trending more towards finding ways to Compensate content creators more directly, but these other organizations, the content distribution platforms, uh, you know, video streaming, book publishers, whatever, they still have a huge amount of leverage, yeah, and they have the most visibility
1: because they control the distribution,
0: because they control the distribution,
1: yeah. And sure, you can have your own website, and that might have worked in 2003. But nobody goes to independent websites. You would go to these monolith websites.
0: Right. The convenience. Yeah. The most convenient place to consume, to acquire and consume digital content for books is Amazon.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me right now, it feels like Marvel in 2008, right? You got Sarah J. Mass, who was our Iron Man. She
2: mm-hmm. came out
1: and she created this phenomenon, this wave of people coming to reading, reading these books, buying these books, talking about these books, creating communities around these books. Right. And
0: she hit a market. Yeah. Of here's a book that is accessible and palatable to this huge number of people. Yeah. It's that Iron
2: Man in two thousand. Otherwise,
0: wouldn't. Read long epic fantasy.
1: Yeah, it's this whole group of people that have been sitting here waiting for this. And wouldn't you know it, the market was already there. Just nobody had tapped it. And so she tapped it. And now we're just, it's like somebody turned on the ball launcher and they're just firing stuff at that market, trying to figure out what will be the next giant property that they can and throw like at. The
0: whole industry is shifting to be optimized for. This market, because this the people reading these books, the population of this market is so huge, yeah, it dwarfs like the small percentage of people that read, like Brandon Sanderson or yeah, you know uh, like Mels Book of the Fallen, or even like Lord of the Rings, or like maybe even the Dresden Files. yeah, you have these long series that are like very carefully edited but the market for who's buying those is smaller is so small yeah that and they don't spend a whole lot of effort on that they don't spend a whole lot of their resources like the the publishing houses don't spend a whole lot of resources on finding identifying people who would just be massively popular to half a percent of the population right they say oh here's someone who's going to write content that is accessible to 0.8 percent of the population yeah and and we can get their stuff out quickly and it doesn't need to be as like carefully edited and we can just pump it out
1: right and it makes me wonder when we're going to go from marvel in 2008 to marvel in 2023 where they, they just can't win. <laughs> they just can't win. They're putting out content so fast, and they're putting out content of such varying quality that they are losing fans. The type of people that would have stood for everything Marvel ever made maybe even two years ago are now like, mm,
0: It's a bit much, isn't it? It's
1: a bit much, you know. A- ain't you and tired So... Of the... us?
0: <laughs> so- <laughs>
1: because it's an unsustainable business right. model. Uh, you can only saturate that market for so long because before it's oversaturated. And then where do we pivot from there? Now we have effectively destroyed the way we distribute like right now we've effectively destroyed the way we create and distribute movies. And so we're going to have to claw our way back up to creating one-off works of art. One-off works of like passion and one-off works of novelty in the way that we created movies before Marvel and then Marvel created this phenomenon of like the quick, fast entertaining but ultimately meaningless movie and so how do we get back from that and then we're going to end up in that same I, I'm afraid we're going to end up in that same place with books where we're creating these one-off, fast consumable, entertaining books but are they ultimately don't they don't stick around. It's like the harlequin romances that used to come out every month. Yes. Um except a highbrow like a pretend highbrow version of that? Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned about where it will take us. About the t- like Brandon Sanderson puts out books really fast. That's great, but what about authors like Patrick Rothfuss that put out amazing books once a decade? Right. Well, what happens when you throw that author into hey, these other guys, they're putting out a book a, a book a year. Rebecca Yaros wrote her is putting out a book a year. Sarah J. Mass, uh, not quite that pace, but she's established in the market. She has enough books already out there. People can wait, and they'll wait a little while, but they're not going to wait a decade, right? For the Dresden Files, how long has it taken him to go from one to fourteen or fifteen or whatever he's on uh, right now?
0: I think it was 16 De- or
1: 17. Decades. Yes. Decades. Or you have someone like Ursula K. Le Guin, who is beloved and wonderful, and she writes epic fantasy and epic sci-fi, and she put out all of like...
0: 23 years. 22 years. Stormfront came out in 2000.
1: Yeah. But Ursula K. Le Guin, her entire works can are quite... I mean, they they can fit in a fairly small novel yeah. uh, if you compiled them all together. Um, but we remember who she is. Are we going to remember Rebecca Yaros? I don't know. I don't. I can't say that. I'm not targeting Rebecca Yaros specifically. Mostly because that's what we're doing next on Feast, Sheath, and Shatter, and so it's what's it, in my it's mind on your right brain. Yeah. yeah. So it's just something to think about. Something um, to I think watch watch the market for Right.
0: maybe the publishing houses will undermine themselves and the i don't know mainstream uh, reader market reader population will become disenfranchised or disenchanted with the publishing houses and large numbers of people will start asking where else can i get books that isn't these big places that are just putting out this right, yeah, fast fiction.
1: And I think we are still out there. You know, we are the people that The Martian didn't get published because nobody thought anybody would read it. And then he put it out for free and it became such a big thing that it got picked up, traditionally published, and even made into a movie. And I think we are out there, the people that don't want the fast fiction. We want... I want a book to feel like I just read something I could not have written myself. I want it to be something that I love the way things are phrased. I want to love the characters. I want to feel like the prose was every single line had thought behind it. I think we're out there. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. There's I don't There's think, dozens of us.
1: There's dozens of us. You know, I think about that a lot with this podcast because we've been putting podcasts out for a year now and we have, you know, in the neighborhood of 150 episodes or so, just kind of cumulatively. Um, are we huge? I actually have no idea. <laughs> just, I don't know. Uh, but we're niche, you know. And I knew, I knew that going in. I knew we were going to be niche because... We are who we are, and I'm unwilling to be someone I'm not simply for content creation. Um, but I think I do not think we are as alone as we think we are. I just don't think that there is a place for us to find each other. Right. I can't go on book talk and find people like me. I mean, I'm not, not, I'm not, that's not like, I'm not so above them. Just, you know, I'm I'm glad that there is now a market for people to find books that they love who wouldn't normally read. And I'm hoping it's kind of a gateway into, okay, that was great. I want to read a better book. I want to read a different book. I want to change it up. I really want to read something that makes me think and changes me. And hopefully that's the It's like a gateway drug. Hopefully we just we fast track everybody into the world of literature, Um, not literature in like only things that happen in the real world and were written 100 years ago or literature, but like book books that this author took 10 years to write this book and it shows that kind of book. I don't really know where I'm going with this, except that it's something that has been I've been thinking about quite a bit because we're getting more people contacting us for reviews, which is great. We're here, we read books, and we talk about them. So if you have a book you want us to read and talk about, you can go to our website. We have our suggestion form. You just fill it out and send it to me there, and it comes straight to our email address, or you can email direct, directly at rachel at club, and the we've gotten a couple submissions that i was like i'm sorry we are not going to review this um not because they didn't have a great idea but because like they didn't have any stars any reviews already and we didn't love it and i we are not the type of place that is going to give a a book a five star review if it is not a five star book
0: Right. And we don't want to end up review bombing.
1: And I don't want to harm someone. An indie
0: published book when or they... a fresh new book.
1: Yeah. Because who does that benefit? I mean, I know we're being contacted for publicity, which is fine. That's what, I mean, that's what going on a podcast for an author should be. But if it harms you, it doesn't, it's not good for anybody. And we've gotten some, dis- we've gotten some people contact us for reviews who have just like absolute slam dunk great books and we even got contacted by harper collins which is sitting right up behind you on the shelf waiting for us to read it they sent me an actual physical copy that one of a book called the day tripper which does not come out until march and is a sci-fi book about a fellow who can travel in time and i'm really excited to read it and the publicist explained it very nicely and i think that we're going to enjoy it and I was like, oh, holy crap, we got like a legitimate, somebody contacted us and sent us a real book. <laughs> um, which always milestone makes- achieved. Milestone achieved. So you know what? If success, if That's what success looks like today. That's what success looks like. And so it got me thinking about how we're going to do reviews and what reviews mean and the benefit of reviews. And I think my ultimate way, that's my ultimate roundabout way of saying switch over to Storygraph. You can actually export all of your stuff from Goodreads and import it into Storygraph. So you don't have to start from scratch. There's integration for that. And it's a more granular. I think that's the future. I think the future is granular reviews. I don't think the future is stars.
0: Human-generated. Human-generated granular
1: granular reviews. reviews. Um, We just talked to Hal Dane. Um, who wrote The Vitreous Womb, who we did a short review of, and we're going to do a long... We have an interview with him that I just need to edit and put up. And he had a really good point about, you know, the future is tailoring what you want to read very um, explicitly because there's so much content available.
0: If you optimize for the widest possible reach, you're going to water it down so much that... It's going to be mediocre. So
1: the future is But niche. if you
0: really optimize for your niche,
2: because
0: yeah. the reach is so huge, like a couple billion people, yeah, you can say, ah, I'm going to target for 1% of the total reach, which can still be hun- like tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And if you write something that will be like loved by tens of thousands of people, you're gonna m- like make enough money right to support yourself and keep writing content for those people. And you don't need to make it you know, this bland compromise.
1: right. It doesn't have to be lemons. <laughs> so like I always say, some artwork is lemons. It's just paintings of lemons, and that's fine. You can paint lemons beautifully, and they're artwork, and they're lovely, and they hang on your wall. And I'm not saying I wouldn't buy a picture of lemons.
0: Right. A but, lot of people just buy artwork to match their couch.
1: Right. But it doesn't, yeah, it matches a lot of but couches. But there's still a
0: market but it doesn't for people change who your buy life. art. Yes. Because they love it.
1: Right. Bo- both things can be true. This is a false binary. You you do not have to choose. You can have books that appeal to everybody, and you can have books that appeal to some people. But we need to wait to figure out which is which. We need a way to find what we're looking for. Right. And right now, I see a lot of authors labeling everything with tropes. So we're already starting to figure out a way to create these granular distinctions between this book and that book. You know, mine has enemies to lovers. Mine has friends to lovers. And there's not a good way to search for that yet. Except places like Storygraph, where I think that's the future. Amazon now allows what's called drive-by reviewing, where you can just you run in, you leave a star, and you leave. You do not have to type out how you feel about the book. You do not have to put any text in a text box. You can literally go to the book, go, oh, I've read about that author. She's feminist trash. Give it a star review, one star review, and leave.
0: Right, without even having read it.
1: So review bombing is a real And immediate problem. And I have seen people say, oh, I didn't read that book because it had so low stars. Well, if you can't trust the star rating, why go with it? It's like the tomato reader, the tomato meter. The tomato meter is so subjective. Stars are so subjective. We need a more granular way of reviewing, which is how we attempt to review. And I think that's the future of reviews. I think stars are too simplistic, too black and white to, you know, it doesn't tell me anything about who the reviewer is and about the thing that is reviewed. So we'll leave it here because we haven't talked about the book in like 40 minutes.
0: <laughs> I wonder if you could just chunk this off as our Let's Discuss Publishing and our book review
1: Yeah, I might do that just as a, here, let me go ahead and send this to you. You have requested a review from Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Please review the following podcast (laughs) (laughs) to uh, learn our philosophy about reviews. I just think if someone has spent that much time in their life trying to create something that they want other people to love, we owe it far more than uh, rate it one to five. It's like, do you like me? Check yes or no. It's (laughs) it's too simplistic. It's, it's too small. It's not the world of books is becoming bigger than that. We're not readers talking to other readers anymore. We're talking to new readers and old readers and fantasy readers and horror readers and heist readers and, you know, Harry Potter readers and, you know, all of these different people that are all coming to this world from these different perspectives and how can we all expect to look at the same thing and see the same thing that's ridiculous we all have different points of view so go to StoryGraph. that's the end of my lecture on that also go to instagram and follow us because we're stuck at 583 followers i don't know why we were doing really good for a while there i, don't, I actually don't have a Force in that race. Um yeah, if not actually concerned that's <laughs> super concerned about it. I'm trying to put content up though. I know things I'm putting up there now have a TikTok watermark because I'm also putting stuff on TikTok. I, I treat it kind of like um a raid. I go in, I post a video on TikTok and then I just back out again.
0: Well you, you said TikTok does the auto captions. it does the
1: auto captions a lot easier than Instagram does. Yeah. Although I just did the auto captions on another anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm figuring out the nuances. It takes me a while. Um you don't have to start perfect. You don't have to start perfect. You don't you even have. You can't
0: start perfect. You don't
1: even have to get to perfect. You just have to start. So I'm starting. That's what I'm trying to learn. A whole new social media platform. Being someone who doesn't like social media, so it's a struggle. Um, we also have our website, strangeandbeautiful.club, where we have links to lots of different stuff. We're almost through the six months that I posted for. Uh, what we will be reviewing in book club. So it'll be time for us to come up with our next six. So if you have one that you're thinking, holy crap, I really hope they do this book, throw that our way. Um, we've already gotten a couple of suggestions, which I might add to it. Well, I may actually discuss with Matt before we put them up this time. Hey, hey. how about that? <laughs> the next one is your choice. You picked the next one.
0: I, I'm, I yeah, don't know that's what fine. that is.
1: I, I haven't told him what to do yet.
0: Uh, Well, I wasn't consulted on the schedule before you posted it.
1: I almost, yes, you were. We listed it out together. I almost put up a picture that's like the staff of Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Like me, host. Me, producer. Me, director. Me, editor. Me, scheduler. And then Matt, the male voice on the podcast.
0: (laughs) Oh, the unfinished world?
1: Yeah. Okay. So we'll be reading that. And then I'll be putting up the next six, so get in on the ground floor, throw me a suggestion. The suggestion form is on strangeandbeautiful.club, plus we have our pictures from our Toronto trip and lots of other fun stuff, so go check us out there. We also have a Patreon Um, I would, I'm starting to post books that I read that I'm not talking about on either on any of our podcasts, and maybe a review of some of the stuff that we're talking about on the podcast that I want to just get off my chest while I'm reading it. So I'm trying to use it as more of like a Rachel talks about books uh, thing. Plus, I still have some fan fiction to post. So if you want to hop over there, right now, I'm putting my book reviews behind the paywall. But our smallest here is a dollar. And a dollar gets you all the content. So have at it um i think i'll just leave it there do you have anything you want to add nope that's all okay um if you look in the show notes i always have a link to the patreon
0: and remember sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too
1: so be who you are and love what you love until next time friends bye Bye.